Hey, good morning, Veritas. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it is a huge honor and privilege to be able to, to start a whole new journey through a whole new book with you uh, this morning. We're going to start our way through the book of Hebrews. So if you're newer to Veritas, um, this, this is kind of fun, because this is what we do. We grab a book of the Bible, plow our way through. This particular book I think is going to cause all of us to have to roll our sleeves up a little bit, dig a little bit deeper. So we've got a tool that we're making available to you guys starting this morning. Uh, we found these, these little notebooks, and it is the, the scripture translation that we use. It's called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And inside, what you've got is the scripture that we're going to be going through, and then some notes on the side, some just blank pages for notes. I think we've got a picture of what this thing looks like. There we go. So, and they're only four bucks. We found them uh, so we could get some bulk for them, so we've got plenty for you. So, um, I think this is going to be helpful. You guys, even if you don't use this to like every day plow through the book of Hebrews, maybe you've got another reading plan, whatever. Even if you use this thing to just interact more in depth as we're together, and then take this with you to connection group or whatever, I just think it's going to help you a lot to think with a pen in your hand, read with a pen in your hand, scribble some things, even the questions that you have over on the side. I think it's going to be an awesome tool. So anyway, after this service, um, by both those exit doors out there, there's going to be a table, and you can, if, if you've got the cash, great, you can Venmo. If you don't have that cash, grab one anyway, pay later, or somebody else is going to pay for yours, or whatever. We want you to have this tool, and so, yeah, just, I just hope all of us are going to dig in. Um, it's not an overwhelming study, but I'm telling you, some books of the Bible are just easier than others. This is on the more difficult side of things. But here's what I'm encouraged to do. I want us to start, if you've got a Bible, to open to the book of Hebrews, because as I was reading a bunch of other uh, different scholars and Bible teachers on this book, one of the metaphors that was really helpful for me as I thought about the approach to take to the book of Hebrews is to consider the book of Hebrews as describing a journey, the, the metaphor of a, a journey, that we're on this path toward heaven together, that we've got Jesus leading us along, but you're going to see that, that metaphor, that idea of life being a journey all the way through the book. So sometimes when you're reading a book, I don't know if you ever do this, it's really helpful to go to the back, like read the last chapter of a book. This is actually when, when you go through college or whatever, this is one of the helpful hints that people give you sometimes, even your professors. Read where the author is taking you, and that will help you then go back to the first chapter and make more sense of it by reading the conclusion. I want to go deep into the book as we start. I want you to go to chapter 11, actually, with me. So go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to see where this idea of a, a journey really starts coming together, even toward the end of the book. Hebrews 11, verse 6, is one of my favorite verses in, in the whole Bible, actually, but certainly in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this, Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's that idea that there is a God that, first of all, you must acknowledge there's a God out there that exists. And that is a God who is 
active with us and is rewarding us. It's like he's dropping breadcrumbs on the path, saying, coaxing us down the right way. He's rewarding us as we seek him. It's not God rewards those who find him, have it all together, nailed it. No, it's God is rewarding those who are actively seeking him. They're on the journey, right? Which goes really well with the way Jesus actually introduced us to the idea of faith. Back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, right? Knock, the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. So there's this idea, again, that that Jesus set in play, and now the author of Hebrews is going to capitalize on that, this idea of seeking, chasing, pursuing. Okay, so if you go into the book of Hebrews, just ready for it to unfold this idea of seeking, I think that's going to help you. But I want you to know, it's not just describing a journey. Hebrews is actually going to be describing a really perilous journey, a really dangerous journey. So if you're still in Hebrews 11, flip one more page and go to Hebrews chapter 12, because again, you're going to see where he's taking us in this thing. Hebrews chapter 12, another couple of very classic verses. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies out before us. There's that metaphor again. We're we're running a race, a journey, but we're going to need endurance. Why? We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, verse 2, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him. Why? He had to endure the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What he's trying to say is, yeah, life is a journey. Our faith is like a journey, but it's a hard one. It's, It's full of peril for us, full of dangers for us. There's hindrances. Those hindrances are just think of things that just get in the way. They, they make it tough because we, we've got so many obstacles on this journey of faith. Not necessarily sinful things, just hindrances. They're, they're like distractions. And it's funny, even as I was studying for this, I found myself distracted often. So at home, I've got a little study, but there's a window that overlooks our front yard and then on to people that are walking their dogs or little, you know, families are taking their little kids to play in the park or whatever. And I found myself, you know, studying, saying, oh, that's a cute little family, isn't that? Wait, get back. Squirrel. Oh, look at that. Oh, they're digging a nut right there. Anyway, just, so there's that stuff, right, that's just keeping you distracted. And maybe it's because, hey, you're a farmer and all of a sudden it's harvest time or whatever. Things that come into life that just make it difficult, not sinful things, hindrances, obstacles. But then there's also what makes life a perilous journey is sin. Sin that so easily entangles us. That's the way he describes it. It's just always chasing us down. And from the earliest pages of Scripture, right, even when, uh, like the story of Cain and Abel, where God says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, just waiting for you, waiting to ensnare. You've got to master this, right? This idea that it's a tough thing because, well, actually think of this, Romans 7, Romans 7, where Paul in Romans 7 says, man, It is like every time I want to do the right thing, sin is right there, ever present, just stalking me. So 
this journey of faith is not just some quick, easy path. It is full of peril because of hindrances, because of sin. The illustration I, I thought of, guys, have you ever tried to climb up a pile of gravel, right? Even if it's a relatively small pile of gravel and you think, oh, that'd be fun. Maybe you're a kid. I'm going to climb to the top of that. And every time you go up, it's like it gets more tough. And so then you start running harder. And so you get even deeper and things are sliding down on you, right? And it's just, it is just like this slog to try to get to the top. That's a little bit more like the kind of journey that we're being asked to go on, like trying to climb gravel. Here's the thing. Hebrews is all about this journey but he wants us to always keep our focus on, just like it says in Hebrews 12, the one who alone can get us to the top. The one who alone is almost like he's at the top of that pile on solid ground, and he's just going to reach out and pull us up. The one who can kind of clear the obstacles, the one who can forgive the sins, the only one that can get us to that finish line to pull you to the top is Jesus, and he's going to be helping us to keep our focus on Jesus, Okay. But I want to give you one fair warning. Then we're going to just dive into the first few verses. Fair warning here. It's like the author of Hebrews is a really good big brother. And like any really good big brother, maybe you've got a bad big brother. I'm going to talk about the good kind of big brother. If you've got a really good big brother, he's going to be the one coaxing you on and urging you on and, you know, celebrating your victories and all that. So he's going to do that a lot in here. But like any good big brother, he's also going to be the first one to punch you when you do something wrong, right? If you've got a good big brother, he's going to be the first one to climb all over you if he sees you doing something wrong. Why? Because he's doing that for your good. He wants you to be good. The author of Hebrews is going to punch you a lot, okay? The author of Hebrews is not going to make this just, oh, you're doing so good. There's going to be that. But it's going to be like, what are you doing? You know, so I'm just saying... Be ready for the book of Hebrews to do all the above because he's a really good big brother and he wants you to get to that finish line. Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter one. In fact, here's what I want to do. We're only going to look at four verses, okay? So I'm going to have them on the, verses, uh, on the screen and I want you to stand with me and I want us to read Hebrews one, one to four out loud together, okay? This is the translation again that I don't know what you've got maybe in your Bible that you're carrying, but this, this is that same translation that's in that little booklet. So let's, let's read this out loud all together, okay? Let's do it together. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus, as we now turn our attention to your word, would you teach us, Lord, even these opening verses beckon us down this journey, this walk of faith. And as we seek you, Lord, you've already told us, you promise to reward us. There's great joy and reward for us as we 
plow in and seek you and want to be conformed to the words that you're bringing to us. So, Lord, we want to just open ourselves up and say, Lord, we are, are teachable in this moment. Please, Holy Spirit, change our minds about things that, that actually we've just decided are true but are not. Add into our thinking ideas that we've never even considered but are true and they are rewarding to learn. So in all these ways, Lord, we are depending on you to lead us, guide us, and to teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right, here's the way we're going to approach this, these first four verses. The first thing that I think we're going to learn right from the very first verse, God has always been guiding his people. It is his nature. From the opening pages of Genesis, God has always been guiding his people. Verse 1 again said, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. God is the one initiating. Do you see that? God is the one initiating. God is the one speaking to our ancestors. Now, in the past, it was by prophets at different times in different ways. So that idea of different times in different ways is, is, is like, uh, think of it as God has been kind of piece by piece, nugget by nugget, been dropping the complete story that is now accessible to us. It's like maybe a puzzle where different pieces have been put in place little by little, right? And if you've ever done that, maybe at Christmas time as a whole family or whatever, you got a puzzle. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's where the horse is. Oh, that's, you know, whatever. Like all the different pieces start getting put in place little by little. So page by page through the Bible, he's been building a story, building a picture that is now just becoming complete for us, right? But one thing is unchanging. One thing that has been true since the very beginning, God is the one reaching out. God is the one speaking to us. It's not like we're out calling out to God. No, it's God that is calling out for us. He is the initiator. So this is really important. I don't know where you're at in, in your ideas about God, but I just want you to know this book is describing a very different God than the God of the deist. A, a deist has this idea about God that there's this like power out there in the universe that maybe had something to do with us kind of getting here, but he's pretty indifferent. In fact, you wouldn't even use he or she or anything. It's just this power force, indifferent, distant, maybe even like a watchmaker that kind of gets things going, but then just walks away. We are not talking about a deist idea of God. Nor are we talking about a universalist kind of God. In other words, there are a lot of people that think, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. God doesn't care. All roads eventually lead to heaven. All roads eventually lead to God. No, no, no. This is the God of the universe who is speaking very clearly, very directly, and he's got something very specific to say. It's not that he's just one among all these different gods, and you can just happen to choose this one or another one. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. This is the creator God who has spoken. And guys, I'm telling you, if you believe what he's saying, right from the very first verse, it sets you apart from the vast majority of people in our culture. Because the vast majority of people in our culture speak in terms of this, like, well, that's your truth. Here's my truth. I just had a conversation like this just days ago. That's your truth. I, I want to tell you about my truth. But they're all truth. They're just yours and they're mine, whatever. No, Hebrews is going to describe a God who speaks full stop. God speaks, we listen, full stop, okay? I want you to think about this. What if you 
had a teenage son. And you said to that teenage son, you may not take the car tonight. And then later, that son takes the car, goes and does whatever he wants. Okay. When he ste- I want you to imagine this. When he steps back into the house, how patient would you be when he says to you, Dad, that's not what you meant, right? No, no, God, Dad, that would be so restrictive. <laughs> You're not a restrictive kind of dad. You're a really good dad. In fact, what you know deep in your heart is that you want me to be happy. And me being happy is taking the keys anytime I want and taking the car anywhere I want to go. That's the kind of good dad that I have. If you were that dad, how would you be thinking about that? No, you'd be saying, actually, I spoke very clear words. (laughs) I was not unclear at all. No, here is the truth. Hand me the keys. Oh, and by the way, your phone, you're grounded. (laughs) The truth is, you're grounded. I don't care what your truth is. Here's the truth. Keys, phone, grounded, right? We understand what that's like. And that's what I'm saying is the book of Hebrews is describing the truth from the God of the universe who is speaking. So before we ever take another step further into this book, I have to ask you, a really important question. Does God have the right to contradict you? And I'm not talking about it in the abstract. What I'm saying is, in reality, when you understand something that comes from this book and it contradicts the way you want to think or the way you want to live, who wins in that day? Does God have the right? This is really important. You will get nothing out of the rest of this book if you don't answer this really consequential question. Does God have the right to redirect your steps? If you're truly on a journey, if you're truly on a path, does God have the right to take you by the hand and say, no, 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 not that way. We're going this way now. Does God have the right? Because if you have not given him that right, then you need to be honest with yourself and stop calling yourself a follower of Christ, okay? Stop calling yourself a follower of Christ. You're not a follower of Christ. You're actually trying to be in the lead and getting Christ to follow you. I'm no longer Jeff, the Christ follower. Now I'm like, no, Christ, you be a Jeff follower, right? I'm saying, as, before we take another step into this book, ask yourself the question, Are you willing to say, no, I'm a follower of Christ, and if he speaks, I listen. When he directs, I follow, okay? That's what it means to follow him, and he's saying right from the very first verse, this is the God of the universe. He has spoken, and now here's the thing. I want to go to the next level. Um, Wait, before I go to the next verse, I do want to say this. There's the kind of negative or defensive way to think about God speaking and us needing to order our lives under him. I want to talk about, real quick, the positive side of this. The far and away most positive part of this, if you're in Hebrews, go to chapter 4 with me, and I'll I'll have this one on the screen also. But chapter 4, I want you to delight in the fact that God speaks. Not just be afraid of it, that's okay too. (laughs) But delight in it. Look, Look what it says in Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword. This is what 
God's word does. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In fact, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here's the beautiful thing. Because God speaks, I can know with certainty what is true and what is false. In fact, even when I'm deluding myself, even when I fooled myself into something, God's word is able to correct that and show me exactly even the way that I have convinced myself that something is right and true, when I allow it, God can correct my thinking and there is joy in that. You guys, I don't have to wonder what God thinks because God is not some like capricious God, you know, capricious, like, like you don't know what he's thinking. Like, is he, am I going to wake up and find he's happy God or sad God or mean God? No, no, no. God is going to be abundantly clear what he thinks and what he's saying and what is true. And I can count on that. It is such a glory that we can open this book and know exactly what is right and true and what our God thinks. He's not unpredictable at all. We can see him clearly. What a joy. I want us to lean in. I want us to drink in this glorious word that tells us all about our creator God. Okay, so now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Because God has always been guiding his people. That is true. But secondly, God has always been guiding his people to Jesus. <laughs> this journey has a destination, and he's always, always from the dawn of time been guiding his people at different times, different ways, but always, here's where he goes. But now in the last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And man, even when I came to that word us, I, I circled it and put a couple exclamation points like, man, others have gotten words from him and guidance from him, but to us, you and me, oh, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things, made the universe through him, etc. Guys, I don't know if we can wrap our minds around the privilege that is ours in knowing God with the definition, the clarity that we have because of Jesus. There's another passage in another book that I'll have on the screen for you, but it's 1 Peter. If you're taking notes, you can put down 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at these verses, 1 Peter 1 verses 10 through 12. It says this, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you. Okay, so I'm just going to hit stop. He's talking about those, those guys from verse 1, the prophets, those who from ages past have been pointing us and telling us about God. So in the past, these prophets, they, they've been talking about this grace that would come to you, come to you, me. And these prophets searched and carefully investigated they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance, like pointing forward to the sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, these old prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to catch a glimpse into these things. Get, get this, Peter's telling us, kind of a, get ready for a mind blow moment. Isaiah, Jeremiah, think of all, Daniel, think of all those Old Testament prophets, right? Here's what they would do. Peter's telling us, they would write something about the coming of Jesus, and then they would sit back and they would look at their own writings and the writings of some of the other prophets, and they'd be like, man, I see something out there. It, it's like the fog is beginning to lift. I see a little bit something, but 
even they couldn't see with the level of clarity. The guys that were writing the very prophecies did not have the same level of clarity about what they were writing that you do and I do now because Jesus has fully come. What they were seeing in a mist, in a fog, they were right and true, but they didn't have the clarity. We have full access and perfect vision of everything they were pointing us to. Is that unbelievable? I mean, it's crazy to think the privilege that we have greater than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, some of the prophets in the Old Testament, what we get to know, the privilege of what we get to know because we get to see Jesus the Son. In fact, let me just say this real quick. One of the warnings that's going to come, in fact, pretty quickly, chapter 2, one of the things he's going to say is, you know, if people back then were held accountable for what they knew vaguely, how much more you that have the blinders fully taken off and can see with absolute clarity, how much more do you think you're going to be held accountable to what you now know with fullness, right? We have such full access. And here is one of the tightest, most beautiful expressions of all that Jesus is, is found just in a couple of verses here, right? Jesus is the heir and the creator of the universe, He's going to be introducing Jesus over and over and over. We're going to see Jesus all the way through every chapter of Hebrews. But let me say, undeniably clear, Jesus is not simply a prophet, not simply a teacher, not simply a martyr. He's not simply just this, this wise person, this sage. He's all the above. He's not just a good example. Far more, he is God. Jesus is the creator, God of the universe. I was thinking about this just again this morning. I thought of all of a sudden Psalm 103 came to mind. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. Psalm 103, I think it's verse 4. Acknowledge this. The psalmist says, acknowledge it. Say it out loud. There is a creator God. I must acknowledge he's the creator. I'm the created one. I'm just the sheep of his pasture, right? He's the one that he has made us. We are his he is the heir, the creator. Jesus is the radiance. Look at this, the radiance of God's glory. So in the past, God has shown himself. God has spoken to people all the way from Genesis on. But understand, it was always a little bit vague. Like in, in the early pages of Genesis where he would walk, they would hear kind of the rustling of his steps in the garden. Didn't see him, just heard his steps. Later on, Moses encountered a burning bush. He was kind of hidden, think of it, hidden behind the fire of a burning bush. And, and that was amazing, right? Later on after that, he became kind of known or visible as a pillar of fire that would protect from the enemies, but guide their way. So in, in different ways, different ones were able to kind of see and hear him. And by the way, what was always the response of anybody that saw even a vague picture of God either speaking or showing himself? What would they do? <sighs> fall down, either in fear, run behind the bushes, or just fall down because they realize God is there. What he's saying is God has always been showing himself, but now here's Jesus, the radiance of God's glory, and we get to look at him full, get to see him, embrace him, follow him. He's the exact expression, look at this, the exact expression of his nature. That idea of exact expression of his nature has the idea of character. It's the Greek word for character. We get to know exactly the character of God because it's displayed for us now. We get to meet him in Jesus, the character of God right there. And he's the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. The sustainer of all things. He, he holds it all together. He keeps it going. Let me give you just a, a quick perspective on this. 
Um, you guys know what a football field looks like. You saw a football field yesterday. Pretty fun football field in another town. Not going to go there. Get you distracted, right? We're so easily distracted. Anyway, here I am. Think of Kinnick right now. Okay, so back to Kinnick. Think of Duke Slater Field. If, if you could take just our solar system and put it on a football field, okay? So I just want you to think it perfectly flat, and it's mostly flat, but if you totally squish it up, made a map of it, and set it on a football field, if you did that, the sun would be, in that scale, the sun would be the size of a dime. Our massive sun, relative to a football field, would be about the size of a dime. To get to Earth, you would only have to go to about the two-yard line. And on that scale, we would be like a grain of sand. Earth would be smaller than a flea on the two-yard line. You would have to go to the opposite 25-yard line to get to Pluto, and some of you are saying, oh, doesn't he know? It's not even a planet anymore. Well, here's the thing. I was raised in the 60s. It was still a planet. So Pluto counts, and it's way down on the 25-yard line. Here's what I'm saying. Think of the massive scale of that. That's just our little solar system. Compared to all the galaxies, every... Guys, this God sustains even little Pluto that you don't even call a planet anymore. He is sustaining all things. Well alone, Acts 17... Every breath that I have right now, he's sustaining this. Jesus Christ is the God of the universe, air, creator, radiance of his glory, exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things. This whole book is going to be guiding us to the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we're going to land this thing. The last thing that I think he wants us to know from these first opening verses, God has always been guiding his people. God has always been guiding his people to Jesus. And now this, God has always been guiding his people to Jesus. Fall on your knees and worship him. The only responsible way to respond to this God is to fall on your knees and worship him. Because you guys, the magnificent creator of the universe. Think about this. Let this soak in for a second. The magnificent creator of the universe saw down on this tiny little grain of sand your life. The fact that hindrances and sins have been doing their worst in you, lost on this tiny little grain of sand, but that God of the universe saw you and was so moved by mercy and kindness and compassion and his heart just beat with love for you on that tiny little grain of sand that he came down to purify you. Look at those words. After making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purifications for sins, just one little phrase, what do you say? But do you know how he made purification for your sins? The incredible God of the universe came down onto that little speck of sand. He entered into your world, my world, right here on this little grain of sand. And all the sin and the the punishment that that sin deserved, he took all of that onto himself. 
the master of the universe, came down to become like one of us. He was crushed by the weight of your sin and mine, but then busted through all that, crushed sin itself, death itself, and magnificently rose again, is now enthroned. In fact, you know when we're going to end Hebrews, by the way? On Easter Sunday. I know, you're like, we're going to be in Hebrews. Oh my word. Yes, it's going to take us that long. Little little window of time around Christmas. But it's going to take, but when we get all the way to the, on Easter Sunday to celebrate the glorious resurrection of this God who now sits enthroned and now he is beckoning us, follow me. I want to lead you on this journey. We read about that already from chapter 12, right? He already endured all that sin. He understands suffering. He understands what it is to be in this world. And now he has gloriously come through on the other side. And he's saying, I know how to take that journey. I bend on that path. Follow me. Follow me. That's why he says his name, that majesty and his he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, the whole angels thing, that's next week. Just you kind of wait to see what, why he's going to compare him to angels. But the name that he inherited, what's the name that he inherited? For that, I'm also going to borrow from another book, the book of Philippians. In fact, can I do this? I want you to stand with me as I read for you Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, here's what it says. All of our attention on the risen, magnificent Jesus. For this reason, God highly exalted him, having become obedient to the point of death, right? Already he went through the death on the cross. Now, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus. Now, it's not the name, comma, Jesus. No, the name of Jesus. What name? The name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is... Lord, that's the name. That's the name that causes us to fall down and worship the master, the Lord of the universe. Jesus has shown himself to be Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the introduction that we have in just those first four verses to Jesus. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to be led by him and follow him? So I've got this very personal question to ask you as we start this journey together to the book of Hebrews. Are you a follower of Christ? Have you followed Jesus so that he could show you what he did to draw you even onto the path that would lead toward life? Have you come to the point where you've recognized how desperately you need to be purified from your sins? that you have hindrances, distractions, and sin, self-imposed sin in your life? Have you come to the point where you've said, I, I am lost. Jesus, will you pick me up, cleanse me, and set me on the path in which I could follow you all the way to that glorious throne? And if not, let this be the day, this opening four verses of Hebrews, let it be your invitation to come to Jesus. Man, let me pray for us, okay? Because Lord, as we come to you, I know for a fact that you have been speaking to everyone in this room at different ways, 
different times because that's the kind of God you are, always initiating, always chasing, always pursuing. And God, I pray that today would be the day that we stop running and we allow you to take us by the hand and begin to lead us purify us from our sins. Lord, we can't purify ourselves. We can't clean up our own lives. We can't. But you can. So Jesus, awaken us. Open blind eyes. Open deaf ears. Take us by the hand. We want to know you. God of the universe, we want to know you. And it's through Jesus Christ that we pray to you now.